grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus. Amen. So as you all know, tomorrow is Thanksgiving. And in thankfulness to God, I'm hoping that you would be willing to share with me some of the things for which you are thankful. So you can just say them out loud. Stuffing. Stuffing. That's not a bad thing to be thankful for. Family. Grandkids. Grandkids. Health. What was it? Health. Health. That's a good one. Anybody else? Jesus. Yes, I did a sermon on that, by the way. <laughs> not tonight, though. It's still on Jesus, but thankful for Jesus. Yeah. Pumpkin pie. How many pieces? I'm, I won't ask. Don't want to think about carbs right now, right? Thank you for sharing all blessings from the Lord, all wonderful things indeed from uh, our Lord, uh, directly from his hand, things to be thankful for, all wonderful. I'm going to say something that you probably don't hear very often. I am thankful for the church. I am thankful for the church, and I mean the word church in all of its uses. I'm thankful for the invisible church. That is the assembly of all true believers who believe in the one true God, the triune God, uh, believers from all times and in all places. I am thankful for the church. I'm thankful for our larger church body, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and its confession. I am thankful for the church. I am thankful for our divine service when we come together to receive and be enriched and be strengthened in faith by God himself who promises to be present with us and in return give him our thanks and our gratitude and our praise. I am thankful for the church. I am thankful for this beautiful sanctuary, a wonderful place where we can gather, a wonderful place where we can worship, a wonderful place where we can grow. I am thankful for the church. I don't hear that much in the world. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Thankful for the church? you got to be kidding me. The church is a place that's full of corruption. It's full of scandal. It's full of politics. It's full of exclusion. The church is a patriarchal system that is, its sole aim is to keep women down. Now, if you believe that, I want to have a conversation with you after church, and we're going to go through Ephesians 5, all right? And we'll straighten your husband out, all right? I promise. I promise. All right. The church gets in the way. The church keeps humanity from realizing its full potential because it's built on fables and old thinking, it's not woke, it's not whatever you want to say. Organized religion, that's not what God is about. In fact, the world often says, nope, you know what, I can do this myself and I can do it my way. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do it my way. Who needs to go to church? I can worship God at the lake. I can worship God at the game. I can worship God from the couch. I can worship God... Fill in the blank. 
doing well whatever it is that week that I decide that I should be doing at the moment. But consider today's Old Testament reading. God rebukes the idea of you and I worshiping worshiping Him according to what is right in our own eyes. What we think the church should be doing. Right? He rebukes it. Instead, He makes it clear to His people that He has placed His name on a specific place and has commanded His people to do specific things as His people when they come together to worship. As church. Comedian Tom Papa, I don't know if you're familiar with him or not. He was raised Catholic. He's not a fan of the church. I believe, he said, but I don't believe enough to ruin my Sunday. He actually said that. And then one day he ended up in church. What was he doing there? Well, his little girl wanted to know more about this because he talked about his upbringing a little bit, talked about the church. And so he took his unchurched daughter who had never been to a service and didn't know anything about Christianity to a service. As you might imagine, it did not go well. At all. The first thing she sees when she walks in the sanctuary is a very large man with a crown of thorns hanging from a cross, bloodied and battered. And she became disturbed at the sight. Papa had never, Papa literally, (laughs) had never thought to tell his daughter about who Jesus was, what Jesus came to do, why he came to do it, and how he did it. All of those questions were left unanswered. And it just went downhill from there. Things went bad to worse, he said. But things really ramped up when the priest came out. Because he had, and this is Papa's words, not mine, He had slicked back hair. He had sharp features. He said he looked like Dracula. And it didn't help that he was wearing a long robe. That's called an alb, by the way. This isn't a robe. It's an alb. Okay? It's a $10 word. Might end up in a crossword for you someday. Who knows? Three-letter word for robe. Alb. It's alb. A-L-B. Because he was wearing an alb, it appeared, Papa said, that he wasn't walking down the aisle, but was floating down the aisle. So that only added to the illusion, right? And he could see that his daughter was distraught. So he grabbed her hand and ran her out the door before the priest could start talking about drinking the blood of Christ. Right? Here's how he concludes this bit. After he took his daughter outside. Outside, birds are chirping. The sun is shining. We sit on the steps, look at each other, and just start laughing and say to each other, what was that? And he does add a word in there that I'm not going to use. What was that? And then here's how he ends it. He says, I don't know what God is, but we were so much closer to it on the sidewalk together than whatever was going on inside that haunted house. I am thankful for the church. What was Papa's problem? He thought the church was doing all the wrong things. 
I guess he wanted it to look more like the rest of the world. I don't know. I can't read his mind. I'm not sure exactly what the problem was. It's not exciting enough. It's not entertaining enough. It's not amusing enough. I have no idea. And we might not be as crass or as dismissive as Papa is, but I think we can often think that what we are doing isn't enough. It's not the right things. We need to add more flash and we need to add more amusement. Let Hey, you know what? I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to make next week like we're in Branson or Vegas. How will that be? Or let's create in a sense of community, and a sense of community is important. It's part of one of our directives as synod, life together. Right? But a lot of times it's like, well, we want to get together, but we don't want to have Bible study. (laughs) So let's have self-help groups, support groups, improvement groups, hobby groups, whatever group we want to put together. Those are important, but we don't want to have Bible study. So what is truly the real purpose of the church? It is to destroy the power of sin in our life. It is to destroy the power of sin in our life. It is to take away the guilt and condemnation of our sin. It is to take away that power over us that leads us in slavery to be subject to all those things that would have us act contrary to the way that God has created us and recreated us in Christ, conforming us back to His image. That's what the church is for. That all people may be comforted strengthened, sanctified, and rooted in God's love for them in Christ Jesus. So what should we be doing? Proclaiming Christ to the nations and bringing the nations to the church so that all will know, believe, and receive the forgiveness of sins in Christ alone. Because only in Jesus and only through Jesus Is anyone, does anyone have a completely right standing before God? The forgiveness of sins in Christ alone is the foundation of the church and the central teaching on which the church lives and breathes. And you might say, that's nice. Who says so? I'll give you the answer. Jesus does. So let's look at Matthew 16. Matthew 16, Jesus comes to the district of Caesarea Philippi. And he asks his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? He's asking about himself, right? And there's different ideas. Well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he says to the disciples, yes, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of John, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And then he says something really interesting, and we always skip it. And I tell you, you are Peter, one who proclaims. That's his name. 
And on this proclamation, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Why? Because then Jesus says this, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. You're saying, what is he talking about here? Well, he elaborates on it more in John chapter 20. Jesus builds his church on the forgiveness of sins bound in him alone and gives his church the authority in his stead by his command to forgive and retain sins. This happens in John chapter 20 as well. Our Lord tells the apostles, as the Father has sent me, so am I sending you. And that means that word sent to send someone with the authority and word of the one doing the sending. Jesus sends the called ministers of God with his command and his authority to speak his forgiveness to you directly, right into your ears, tangibly. And these words have meaning and power as if Jesus said them himself. Because that's the one who they're ultimately coming from. The words in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins. Those sweet words that you heard earlier tonight do exactly, exactly what they promise. They do exactly, exactly what they say. It's not amusing and it's not entertaining, I know, to confess our sins in front of God and those in the church. I actually had somebody, when we do Divine Service 3, Confession Absolution, and they say, do we have to say, I, a poor, miserable sinner? It's not amusing. It's not entertaining. But it is both truthful and it is liberating. The Scriptures tell us, right, if we say we are without sin, you can all recite it with me. We deceive ourselves, the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I am thankful for the church because it is about the forgiveness of sins found in Jesus Christ alone. That's the mission. That's its business. I am thankful for the church because it does, when it's doing its job, doing what Jesus set before us to do. What are we to do? Well, he doesn't leave us wondering. Amuse people. Oh, he doesn't say that. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples. Okay, we'll go make How do we do that? Well, you baptize. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And don't leave it there. Teach them. To obey everything I have said to you. Really, that's the force behind it. And I am with you always to the end of the age through these means, through baptism, through the Word. As the church, we do these things. We baptize all nations in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Through these means, God takes a child of wrath, a sinful human, and makes that child his own. His holy child in Christ unites that child to Christ by grace and grants the forgiveness of sins and pours out the Holy Spirit. Right? Acts 2.38. And then we teach. 
We teach about forgiveness of sins in Jesus alone. Everything that Jesus commanded and gave to the apostles, we pass down. Because Christ's words are the Father's words. As the Father has sent me, so am I sending you. Christ's words are the Father's words. Christ's words are God's words. Christ is the Word of God made flesh. And Christ promises to send the Holy Spirit through that Word. We're not left wondering what God wants, the blessings that God gives us. We have that. That's why we don't teach anything other than the doctrine in accordance with the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's why we confess the creeds at every service. Apostles, Nicene, or Athanasian, right? We confess one of those. And some of you are like, oh yeah, that other one that we break up in two because it's so long. Because it confesses a right understanding of God, of the triune God, of who the true God is. A summary of the faith as we have been taught and given by God himself. Confessing the creed as his church and in his church gives us, you and me, the opportunity to acknowledge the one true God in three persons before others. We do this as church, we do this in church. We should be doing it outside of church as well. Confessing the one true God before the world. And how do we do it? We start with the creeds. Jesus tells us that everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. We confess together. We commit it to memory. We commit it to our heart. We commit it to our soul. What else does the church do? We pray as Jesus commanded us. As he taught us to pray. In the life of the church, we pray according to our Lord's invitation, teaching, and command. We do this as church. We do this in church. We should be doing it outside of church as well. When Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, he commands his disciples to do this in remembrance of me. Why? Because, again, he proclaims this as a means by which he delivers that forgiveness that he has already won directly to your life. His words are recorded in Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22. It's not an accident that they're there. When the church in Corinth saw this as an ordinary meal, ordinary bread and wine, and started treating it that way, Paul rebukes them sternly. Sternly. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. Right? This isn't something Paul's making up. Hey, this would be a good idea. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread when he had given thanks, broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament, the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And every time we do that, every time we celebrate that, we're receiving the forgiveness of sins, we're receiving Christ himself, and Paul says, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
is sacrificial death, his atoning death. His life given for us on a cross, wearing a crown of thorns, bloodied and beaten and battered, so that we might live before God in righteousness and holiness forever. I hope it doesn't scare you. It's tough to look at. But it's what he did for you and for me. And his supper brings that forgiveness directly to our lives, to our lips. It's a foretaste of the feast to come in Christ's victory over sin, death, the power of the devil. We partake in that now. We partake in it now. I am thankful for the church. The church is a fellowship of faith and of the Holy Spirit in hearts. Yet this faith, this church, has outward marks. This fellowship had outward marks so that it can be recognized. So that we are not doing what's right in our own eyes, but doing what our Lord has commanded. These marks are what Jesus has set before us to do. Teach the pure doctrine of the gospel, administer the sacraments in accordance with with what Christ gave us for the forgiveness of sins and salvation of people. Period. These things Christ has given to you and to me. These things Christ has graciously given to His church. And because He has done that, The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And heaven comes to us here and now. I am thankful for the church. And I pray that you are too. Amen. Now may the peace that surpasses all human understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord.